Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, and as we do that, our children are dismissed. You can stay standing if you're able for the reading of the word, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to go ahead and we will actually start reading from verse 13, <clears throat> and it says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? The son of man am. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also will, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your presence that is here, and we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us in these next few moments, God. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. We pray, God, that you would be glorified in these next few moments. I pray that you would make us not only hearers of your word, but doers of it. Let us respond to you in faith today, Lord God. Let us bring glory and honor unto your name. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand really quickly so that way the ushers can bring them to you. Just keep your hand up and they'll get it to you. And so forgive me. My voice has um, decided to try to run away today, so we're going to work with this the best way that we can. Just keep that hand up. Keep it up there until they get it to you to make sure that you get one. As always, the outlines are very important. They are helpful in following along in the preaching. In the beginning, you are also able to take notes, and it is something that will help you to be able to remember, um, or not just to remember, but to bring to remembrance the things that you heard preach that stood out to you, and then hopefully you'll utilize these as an opportunity, not just for you to grow personally, but to help someone else grow in their faith. We're supposed to be makers of disciples. We're supposed to be disciples who make disciples. Therefore, it's important that we are. Um, communicating and that we're sharing the truth that we're learning with other people. That's the way that disciples learn. What did Jesus tell his disciples? He told his disciples, teach them everything that I've taught you. And so that's what Jesus did. And so that's what we do. As we learn, we teach. Amen. So you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to, you know, have a theological degree somewhere to be a person who makes disciples. Everyone who is a Christian is called to make disciples. And so we're continuing on in our series, our core four series. And so we're on the 11th message here. And we're actually on the third message in this portion, which is our reaching others portion. And so if you look at your outline here, thus far in the reaching others portion of our core four series, we have looked at the biblical foundation for reaching others and hopefully grasp the importance of being faithful faithful image bearers who embrace the privilege of being ministers of reconciliation. My hope is that over the last two messages that you've come to realize, number one, that being a person who reaches others, the reason why reaching others is part of, and for some of you that don't know this, and I'll reiterate this, even if you do know this, but what happened was we started Faith Dome, it's uh, going to be 13 years ago, and or 14 years ago this year, and when we started Faith Dome, obviously, you know, we've grown, and a person offered me a book, it's called Simple Church, and, and, and what was in this book is it was talking about how the most effective churches, you know, in, in, in the world, basically, they did a survey of a whole bunch of churches, and they tried to figure out what it was that was making certain churches successful in making disciples and what was hindering it. And one of the things that hindered disciple making was a whole bunch of programming, but there was nothing that was consistent. And so the big question for us when we sat down, when I say consistent, means programs that were like all over the place. And so there was so much for people to do, nobody knew where they were supposed to get plugged into. 
And so there's a lot of things going on in the church. You were wasting valuable resources. You were wasting manpower. You were wasting a bunch of stuff, you know, trying to, you know, do the right things. But the question was this, how do you effectively make a disciple? And I believe the way you effectively make a disciple is for you to give a definition from the scriptures to dig that out and figure out what a disciple is. And then from there, you program around that. Amen. You figure it out. And it's kind of like working out. Like if you want to work out, you know, your legs, you wouldn't start, you know, doing bench presses. Hello. Just saying, right? Like what, what muscle do you want to develop? Well, you figure that out and then you do a program that is based upon that, right? Whatever it is, if, you're, if you have back issues, you need to strengthen your back. I mean, there are certain exercises that you just shouldn't do. They're not going to do anything to help you strengthen your back. Well, as being a Christian and someone who's going to be a disciple, you need to know what is expected of you as a disciple because when I have the definition of what a disciple is, then I know what's expected of me. And then as a church collectively, what we can do is we can decide what goes and what doesn't, what are we going to keep and what are we going to get rid of? And so we went on a retreat as leaders and we prayed and we, you know, read, read through the book, read through the scriptures and we sat down, we brainstormed together. We had times of, you know, fasting and worship and we sought the Lord and we asked God for wisdom and direction. And we walked out of there. We came out of there with those, th those four things that we say every Sunday that we are committed to loving God, committed to growing together. We're committed to reaching others and we are committed to serving. And as long as God allows me the grace to be the leader of this church, I will make sure that that is our that, that is our direction. That is what we want to do because we believe that a person who is a disciple is someone who loves Jesus. Would you say amen to that? Amen. I believe that someone who is a disciple wants to love others, especially brothers and sisters. Would you say amen to that? And then we also believe that disciples are people who want to reach others with the gospel because they have been so impacted by Jesus, they want to impact the world. Amen? And then lastly, we'll talk in a couple of weeks about serving. But here's the thing that I want you to get. When we look at this whole idea of, of reaching others, what I said here is that we laid the foundation, and when we reach others, we are simply imitating God. We are imaging God. We are bearing the image of a sent and sending God because Jesus came to this earth. He was sent by the Father to bring salvation, to seek that which was lost, and so we see him as an example for us, and so not only that, but then we also realize that he said to his disciples, the same way that the Father sent me, so I send you. We'll read that scripture later on today. But that's a foundational thing there. And then the other side of it is it's not just that, but then we also talked about reconciliation in the last message. And we dealt with reconciliation. We realized that we have been reconciled to God, and we'll deal with the big idea in a moment. But we have been reconciled to God so we can do what? So we can be ministers of reconciliation to the world. So we can be those vessels through which others hear the gospel proclaimed, through which others see the truth of Scripture lived out, and others can come to that reconciled relationship with God. That doesn't happen if we are not committed to reaching others with this gospel. Amen? And so today, we will look at the topic of biblical church growth, understanding that Jesus is, the, is building his church, what that looks like, and why it is important for us to be engaged in God's eternal church growth plan. I want you to know that church growth is not a bad word, right? I've heard a lot, a lot of people, you know, they like Faith Dome because it's a smaller church, and that's beautiful, and I love what they're saying. What they're saying is that they can know people. They're saying that they, you know, that there's some accountability. You know, some people, they don't want to be accountable. They want to go to the largest church on the planet so that way they can sit, be a number, and never get called on. Mm -hmm. Some of y'all want to do that here. It's kind of tough, though, right? You know, you don't want, you don't want to get that text when you miss church and you know, stuff like that. And so ultimately, you know, what happens is, you know, that's a good thing, right? But here's the deal. The reality is that we should be caring about other people and we should be wanting to reach them. In other words, what's going to happen is that means that the church will continue to grow. The church will continue to do what God wants it to do unless you decide you're going to just keep it all to yourself. Hello, somebody. So that's the reason why we, that's one of the reasons why we came out with, you know, selfie or ussy Sunday or whatever we want to call it. Is so that we can help you, you know, get out there. Let people know where you're at. Let people know about the place where you congregate, where you worship. And that way they can come, they can get plugged in. They can experience God the same way that you're experiencing him. And I pray that you're being impacted. But here's the thing. Church growth is not something that's just so that way, you know, you can have numbers in the, in the house. Hello. It's not just something that you can fill up chairs. It's not just, that's not the purpose of church growth. Church growth is something that God is doing. Amen. That's something that I'm doing. That's something that I want or don't want. It is something that God is doing. The church, his church is going to grow because he wants it to grow. And we have a choice. We can be part of that, that thing that he's doing or we can sit back and not be part of it. And one way that we're part of that is through us reaching others. Last paragraph here in your outline there. There should be no greater satisfaction this side of heaven than to know that you are a part and participant in an eternal plan. 
God chose you before the foundation of the world to join him as part of his team, his family, his people to extend his kingdom in the earth until he returns to culminate it all. Here's what I want you to understand. When we are, and I don't know about you, when you, if you, you've had those moments that you just know that those were those God moments, right? Those, um, you know, as, as Minister John would say, those God in, in, incidents. And what is it? How do you say it? God incidences, right? It's like no coincidence. It's a God incidence, right? It's those moments like that. I'll tell you one for me. I remember I went a few, uh, a couple of months back. I went with Minister Ricky and, and the evangelism team, and we were at Crane's Roost. And as we were walking, it was uh, Minister Ricky, myself, and I can't remember who else was with us. But we were walking, and as we're walking, you know, Minister Ricky was like, "Hey, man, let's go over here and let's let's talk to that girl." It was a girl and a guy that were talking over there, and I was like, "Okay." So we walked over there, and as we walked over there, the Holy Spirit allowed us to have a great conversation with this young woman. And, you know, you, you saw God working on her. She'd been praying. She'd been talking to God about, you know, what was going on in her life. And that was one of those moments that it's like, man, you tapped into being part of what God is doing, right? Those are moments that you live for, right? We had the, um, the, the uh, last weekend, we had the prayer time, right, where we were, we were here and we were praying for whoever wanted to come by and pray. And it was funny because there was a lady that came by her name was Rebecca and as she was she was she said she was on the expressway she got off on an exit that she never gets off of which was this exit and as she's coming through she's driving down the road and she begins crying when she sees these signs for prayer she pulls into the parking lot and she's been praying for God's direction and God's guidance and she came and you know she visited with us last week and I don't know if she'll be here again but here's the deal the bottom line is that at that moment we knew Minister Lewis was sitting there and he was like man I was almost crying myself why was he almost crying because he's emotional no not necessarily it's because he connected with something that God was doing. And I want you to know something. I said this earlier in the, in the first sermon. When it, when it comes to reaching other people, that is one of the things that the enemy wants to keep you away from more than anything else. Because here's what I want you to know. Once you taste what it's like to be part of what God is doing, speaking to someone's life, once you experience God speaking through you, once you experience that moment where it's no longer you in the driver's seat and God is doing something, and you're literally sitting back it's almost and I don't want to get you know all mystical on you but it's almost like an out-of-body experience because you sense the spirit of God there and you're just saying th things are coming out of your mouth that you don't even know where they came from when you tap into that you know what you're going to want more of it when you experience that flow of God, when you experience, and listen, I'm not telling that reaching others is easy that's not what I'm saying but what I am saying is that reaching others is worth it Reaching others is worth the rejection. Reaching others is worth people cursing at you. Reaching others is worth people rejecting what you're trying to communicate. Reaching others is worth people making fun of you. Reaching others is worth you being intimate, intimately, passionately seeking God for grace, for wisdom, and for power for you to reach them. Here's what I want you to understand. And is that every soul that we lead to Christ is God working through us. Every person we serve is God serving through us. Every person we help grow in their faith is God developing them and every person we confront in their sins is God calling them to repentance through us what I want you to get is I want you to understand that that, that the God of the universe the creator of all things chose you and chose me to work through he chose us now if that doesn't get you excited ain't nothing gonna get you excited if that doesn't stir your heart nothing is gonna stir your heart but God of heaven chose you. And you know, hey, you know how I know he chose you? Because you're sitting here today. Hello, somebody. Amen. There's no coincidence, right, that you're here today. Some of y'all didn't want to come today. Hello, somebody. Amen. Some of y'all were supposed to be here last week, came here this week. Some of y'all weren't supposed to come till next week, came this week. What a, I don't know, but here's the deal. What I do know is this, is that God has you here today, not by coincidence, because he wants you to know that he wants to use you. He chose you for this great commission. He chose me for this great commission. And you may be sitting there thinking, man, my life ain't right. God doesn't want to use me. That Listen, God, God is not looking for someone whose life is right. God is looking for someone who is available. Hello. Because he'll make your life right. I'm not telling you to go out there acting crazy and trying to be. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you're here, no matter what you're certain, no matter how holy you are or how unholy you are, it makes no difference. God wants to use you. The question is, are you available? Are you hearing what he is saying today? And are you saying, okay, God, I want to be used by you. I want to be a vessel that's used by you. And one of the greatest ways, listen, there's, there's always room. Let me tell you something. There is always room for more people to evangelize. 
You know, you look up here at our worship team, and, you, and, and I think we have like eight. Is there eight people? How many, how many singers do we have? Somebody tell me. How many do we have here? A bunch, right? They're like, they, they, can't, they can't get inspired because they get inspired. They're elbowing each other and stuff like that, right? And so my point is that at this exact juncture, there is probably no more space to add a bunch more people up here. But can I tell you something? You're not going to get into each other's way out there reaching others. You're not going to bump each other. You're not going to, I promise you, you're not going to be tripping over the same people. Hello, somebody. I promise you, you're not going to be fighting over the same people to preach to. Listen, God has so set it up and he wants to use us for his glory. And so the big idea that we've been dealing with for the last two weeks on this is this. We have been called into a relationship with God, reconciled through Christ, and are sent, empowered by the Holy Spirit for gospel mission. I want you to get this down deep inside of your soul. We have been called into a relationship with God. God called you out of darkness into the marvelous light of his kingdom. He reconciled us through Christ, and now he has sent us. And not only has he sent us, but he has empowered us with the Holy Spirit for gospel mission. He's got a purpose. He doesn't want, listen, he doesn't just want you to feel good. You know, I love worship services like we had today. I love those times where the presence of God just envelopes our lives and we sense God. I love those moments, right? I, I enjoy them. But can I tell you something? To me, if that is where your moment ends, it was a waste for you. If you don't want to share that moment with someone, and listen, to share that moment with someone doesn't mean you got to find that song. Hello. To share that moment with someone doesn't mean you got to be a great singer or a great, a great articulator of words. That doesn't, it's not that. It's simply to communicate the wonder of the God that you are experiencing. That's what it's about. See, because when I experience him, what should I want to do? I should want to share him. I should want to share him with those who do not know him. So my first point that I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say biblical. Church growth is God's eternal plan. Look at verse 18. And just a little bit of background here on these particular scriptures. You look at Jesus. He's having a conversation with his disciples. He's asking them, who do men say that I am? And they give him all the answers that is all the, all, all the pop culture, all the language, and all the things that are being said about him. And then he asks them the most pointed question and the most important question, who do you say that I am? That's the most important question for any of us to answer. Who do you say Jesus is? And he says, hey, he says, you are the son of God, right? He says, you, you are the one we've been waiting for. And so he communicates to them. And in verse 18, he says, or verse, let's go to verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So who's giving the revelation here? It's God. So God reveals something to Peter. He opens Peter's eyes to a truth. And then he says in verse 18, the first part of it, is he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. The first thing I need you to get is biblical church growth is God's eternal plan. What do we see here? Jesus said, he didn't say, you are going to build my church. He said, I will build my church. Say, Jesus, Jesus. builds his church. It's Jesus who is building his church. It's not me. It's not you. We're part of the building plan. But we are not the one who, who, is, who is doing the building. It is him who is doing the building. We clearly see, see in this verse, Jesus is the one who builds his church. Hear me. Our plans and programs may be useful when biblical and church growth. However, growth numerically, spiritually, and in maturity are a product of God's grace alone. Amen? I was, talking, I was talking to someone the other day, and, we, you know, I was, I was he has a, he's, I won't tell you who he is, but um, he, doesn't, he doesn't go to this church anyway. But nonetheless, I won't tell you who he is in case he ever walks in the door. You won't be looking at him funny. But he's a, he's a guy that I love, you know, and, and um, I work out with him sometimes. And, um, and, you know, but he's got this really funny, you know, real, real funny attitude, you know. And when I say funny attitude, like he has no patience for people, like literally. You know, like if, he, if Jonathan were to tell him, hey, man, you know, I really want to come to this Bible study. And he'd be like, all right, bro, so here's the address, here's the time. And then Jonathan doesn't show up, you know, he'll text Jonathan, you know, be like, what's up, bro? You coming to this Bible study? And then, you know, Jonathan doesn't respond or something like that. And he's done with Jonathan. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating the point, right? He'll probably text Jonathan like three or four times, but after that, he's like, Psh, whatever. 
And so we're having a conversation. We're talking about, you know, and I said, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of successful ministers and stuff like that. You know, and for me, I'm not even thinking along, along these lines. And, you know, I said, they're a lot like you. And he says, yeah, but he says, but how, how, how fruitful are their churches? And I was like, I don't know, man. You know, I said, I'm not, not like I'm going over there to check out the fruit. I, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they're okay. His point was, and I'm not saying that he's right or wrong in this, but his point was, when we look at church growth, church growth is not just about numbers in a building. Hello. That is part of it. Don't get it twisted. That is part of it. But that is not the end all. Just because, listen, listen we can do some stuff to get people to come into the building. Hello. We can, we can plan some stuff that are going to bring people onto the property. We can do that. That's not an issue. We can, I mean, we can make that kind of stuff happen. But that's not what discipleship is all about. That's not where it ends, just getting people in the building. It's not just about bringing people. It's about growing people in their maturity, growing people the way they're supposed to. In Psalm, um, Psalm 127, it says what? It says, if the Lord doesn't build the house, they who labor, labor in vain. That's what the scripture says. It says the watchmen who stand up and watch, they watch in vain. Why? Because, listen, you can have your goggles on. You can be looking. I mean, your binoculars, you can be looking out, seeing who's coming, goggles. You can be looking out, see who's coming. You can do all that stuff, and you can still be destroyed because what? Because God ain't with you. That's what the Scripture says. And so God is the one that's building. A quick overview, and I don't have the scriptures with you right now. Somehow, when I looked at my outline, I had deleted all of these scriptures that I wrote down from the book of Acts. But if you look at the book of Acts, you're going to find something that is so peculiar. And when you look at the church and what was going on in the church, it says throughout the book of Acts, just read it. You know, you go to like Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, I think Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, like all of these different chapters in the book of Acts. You're going to notice something that occurs there. What happens is there's a word and it says, and the Lord added to the church those who are being saved. The Lord added to the church souls. The Lord added to the church. I want to tell you something, and this may be a news flash to you. Church growth is not church transformation. Church, let me say that again because some of y'all got excited, so I'm going to just stay there because someone got excited. Church growth is not church transfers, right? See, the problem with the church today is that the church today has become like Baskin Robbins. Just pick your flavor. And the next best flavor comes up, and hey, we're all flocking to that church over there, and we're going over there, and we move kingdom, we move people from one place to another until what? A better flavor comes up. Why do I say that? Because the reality is that we measure, and that's what my friend was saying when I was talking to him about that. He was talking about the health of a church. He was talking about all of those things. Because we look at this and we say, oh, man, you know, the church is going on. Let me tell you something. If you are a person who transferred from another church to Faith Dome, I thank God for you. Amen. Can we give God a hand for whoever's transferred? I'm not listening. As long as you didn't transfer in rebellion. If you transferred in rebellion, we're not clapping for you. <laughs> Just saying, I'm straight up. You know, like you came up in here and you were just bitter and you were angry and all this kind of stuff and you were leaving. Listen, you need to go and repent, right, and then we'll talk later on. But here's the deal. You know, there are people, I believe there's biblical reasons why you leave a church. I believe that if a church is, undo, uh, you know, un, if doctrine is bad, I believe that you leave that church. You don't stay around that. I believe the right thing to do is you confront the preachers and teachers about that, you know, truth that is, or that lie that is being presented as truth. And if they're unwilling to repent and recant, then at that point you need to remove yourself from that situation. I believe that if there are things that are going on in a church that are unbiblical, if there is sin that is not being addressed in a church, I think that, you know what, if no one is willing to address that, I think that you you can go ahead and you can say, you know what, this is not going to work out. There's reasons why you leave a church. I'm not saying that, you know, people move. Hello, somebody. I'm just saying, right? like, I don't expect you to drive two hours to come to Faith Dome because you love Faith Dome, right? I don't expect you. I don't expect you if you move to another state to just watch us on video and listen to us on podcast, you know, because what? Because you love Faith Dome and you can't find another church. Man, that's not true. Listen, I believe Faith Dome is a good place. I love this place. I mean, hello, I, I, I preach here. I teach it, not because I'm great. But anyway, you know, I, I believe that this is a good place, right? I would go here if I, you know, if I wasn't the preacher. I'm just saying, as long as the preacher was good, I'm just, I'm just kidding. As long as the music was good and the preacher was good. I am joking. I am totally joking. I'm saying what he didn't say. But anyway, here's the thing. Here's, here's the deal, right? Like what we have, I think, is a good thing. But if someone moves to another state, I want them to get plugged into a church, because hear me, it's not good enough just to hear some preaching on the radio, you know, on, on podcasts. It's not enough just to watch a, a, a you know, I had someone tell me, yeah, you know, and I, I ain't going to tell them who, who they said they watch. But, you know, like, yeah, you know, I watch so-and-so every Sunday, and I hear so-and-so every morning. And I was like, oh, that's good. That ain't church. That's right. There's a difference between hearing, you know, messages and being part of the body. 
right? But church growth is what? It's when God adds to the church. When you look at, I love this, you look at the book of Acts chapter 2, and what does the scripture tell us there? You don't have to turn there, but it tells us this. It says that after the Holy Spirit came upon them in the upper room, right, there was this commotion that took place. The people that were out there heard praise of God in all of their different languages, thought these people were drunk. Peter gets up in front of everyone. All of a sudden, this guy who was running away, now he's running forward, and he's saying, no, he said, they're not drunk like you think. This is the promise that God spoke. The Spirit of God comes. This guy preaches a message and is all up in their face with the gospel. And the scripture says that they were pricked to their hearts. And it says, and those who were willing to be baptized were how many? Like 3,000. So the church starts as a mega church, right? But can I tell you something? When you think about this, that was the only church. That was it. That's where it was. There wasn't any church anywhere else. That was the only church, and obviously God's plan was what? It was to send the church out because he had people from all different places hear the gospel at one time, and the purpose was to get them to go out, right, into Judea, Samaria, onto all the earth. That was the plan. But the, the, the thing is that God adds to his church. And so here's the thing. I want you to understand that God is the one that builds his church. It's not man's plan. And we must regain the biblical mindset for church growth and begin reaching the unreached, the unsaved, and unbelieving world with the gospel to see true church growth, not for the sake of numbers, but for the sake of eternity. Amen. See, here's, here's, here's what we got to get. I heard this said before, and I know that I've said it before. You know, we often say that the world, those who are unsaved, needs to get a revelation of hell so that way they will come to God. Some people say that. You know, that the fear of the Lord would grip their hearts. Can I tell you something? The church needs a revelation of hell. Because when we have a revelation of hell, we won't allow people to go, hell, to, go to hell in handbaskets around us. It's like somebody gave an analogy. He said, you know, imagine you're sitting in a restaurant and he says, and as you're sitting in this restaurant, you know, let's just say you sit down at a counter and when you sit down at the counter, you know, you bow, you bow your head to pray and when you open your eyes, when you open them, you literally are looking around and you see people on fire. It would move you to action immediately to try to help them because you saw the flames that were surrounding them, would it not? You'd want to do something. You know, the thing is, I just don't think that the church holds a real understanding of hell. Like when I say that we are born into sin, we are separated from God, that our sins condemn us to hell, I think that I might say that too fast. I don't know. Maybe preachers don't say it enough. I don't know. Maybe people haven't expounded on hell, that hell is eternal. There's, there's no end to hell. It's not like you go there for a little while and then you check out. It's not like you pay for sin for a little while. It is for all of eternity that you spend eternity there in hell forever and ever and ever. You know, one scripture says that it's like where the worm never dies, the flame never ends. You have people that are there that are weeping. They are gnashing their teeth. We see the picture of it being so dry that the guy, I mean, it, it is such a dry, it is a terrible place. And every single person that you know, and every single person that I know that hasn't put their faith in Jesus, they're going to spend their life there if they don't ever repent. You think that should put some urgency in our hearts? See, we should understand that if we, and can I tell you something? They're not going to figure it out on their own. You want to know why? Because most people think they're good enough. Listen, that's a struggle in the church. In the church, there are people who think they're good enough. There are people in the church that feel like, hey, man, I'm all right. You know, I mean, I, I don't do as bad as he or she. You know, I'm not doing what they are doing. We measure ourselves by the wrong thing. I love what one preacher said. He said, our issue is not a low view of the law. It's a, I mean, it's not a high view of the law. It's a low view of the law. When we, when, we, when we begin to view God's law as who God is, as the holy God that he is, hold on a second, we start to realize how, how short we fall. There's no question about that. But we need to get this revelation of hell so that way we will do what? So that way we will understand that the people that are unsaved need to hear this gospel. The second thing that I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, biblical church growth depletes the kingdom of darkness. 
Biblical church growth depletes the kingdom of darkness. Look at the second part of that verse. The first part of the verse, he says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this church I will build, I mean on this rock, I will build my church. And then he goes on to say, and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. Now, 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 now here is, here's this. There's a reality that many of us either ignore are ignorant of or don't know how we are to engage it, and that is the spiritual battle that we are in. Are you hearing me? See, there's many of us that I, I think that we forget that we are in a battle, that there is a battle that is, that is raging around us, that there is an enemy that has, that we are the target for him. That there, is, there is a real battle that is going on, and many of us, we just think, well, I'll just pray a prayer, and I'll say I rebuke that in Jesus' name, and I'm good to go. Hold on a second. There is a battle that goes on that we must be engaged in, and it's more than just praying a prayer. It's about us living a life that brings glory and honor to God that is disarming the enemy in our lives. Now, listen, does that mean that we're never going to have trials? No, absolutely not. Does that mean that we're never going to have hardship? No, absolutely not. But what it does mean is that we can be engaged in this warfare, and we know a few things. First of all, the battle is real. Second of all, the victory is ours. Did you hear what he said? He says here, he says, the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail. And so the battle is there and, the, and we are guaranteed victory. See, the battle that we are in, here's what I, need, what I need you to get. The battle that we are in, that it is based upon one thing and that is souls. Are you hearing me? Listen to me. Everything, say everything. Everything the enemy brings against us. If you don't get anything else that I said about this whole point here, get this. Everything the enemy brings against us is to keep us disengaged in the battle for souls. Not some things. Everything that he brings against us is to keep us disengaged for the battle of souls. What do I mean by that? Every single situation, the enemy wants to keep, wants to keep our prayer lives unfocused, ineffective, and non-existent to ensure souls are lost. Why do I say that? Because you know what? If you're not praying, guess what's never going to happen? You're never going to preach to anyone. If you're not praying, listen, I sit here today, today, I stand here today, and I can tell you that I am the product. Obviously, we know God's great plan. Amen? We, we, I, I'm not talking about the sovereignty of God. But what I want you to understand is that connected to the sovereignty of God is the will of man that unites with God's will. And what I can tell you is that my mother united with the will of God in prayer and agonized over my soul to come to faith. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you agonized over someone's soul? When was the last time you agonized over someone who was lost? When was the last time you saw something on the news that brought you to tears? Listen. What the enemy wants to keep us doing is agonizing about our situations. He wants to keep us, and I'm not saying our situations don't, are not agonizing. That is not what I'm saying. Some of our situations, listen, <clears throat> I do not wish them on the worst of my enemies. Some situations, I would never want to go through them. And so, listen, I do not minimize anyone's situation. But what I want you to realize is that the enemy wants to keep us overwhelmed by our own situations. So everything we think about, everything we do is all about us. The souls that are dying, they don't matter. Everything that the enemy does, he wants to bring it so that way we do not engage in the battle. The enemy wants to keep our lives self-focused to ensure we miss the mission of God we've been called into. Here's what I want you to know. In the midst of your situation, whatever it is, God still wants to use you in the mission. A lady, a, a, a lady, a, a lady um, I, believe, I, I believe it was um, Janice, Janice Stringer, she was, she was a woman who came here a few years back, well, probably like six or seven years ago. She ministered at a women's conference, and she had just had, she had just had um, um, you know, she had breast cancer. She was battling that. She was in the hospitals going back to get checked up. Sadly, she ended up dying from this, you know, from this breast cancer. But you know what happened? Every time she'd be going to those doctor's offices, in the midst of her agony, you know what she was saying to her doctors? She was saying, hey, you know, let me pray with you. She was talking about Jesus. She was trying to lead them to Christ. I had the, the, the funniest story the other day. One of the guys that sits at my table at Forge, at, at the men's ministry, he was sitting at the table with me, and we were talking about something, and he said, you know, he said, I, I was at the doctor. I was getting ready to have back surgery. And he said, when I was getting ready to have back surgery, you know, they had already put, like, one of the, the, the first anesthesia in or whatever. I don't know how that all works out. And he said, you know, so they put the first, and the doctor comes in. He says, so you ready? And he says, yeah, I'm ready. He says, but are you ready? And the doctor's like, what are you talking about? 
He's like, well, I'm ready. He's like, can I pray for you? <laughs> You're about to do surgery on me, man. Are you ready? Hello. Are you prayed up, you know? And this guy in this moment, he said that the room, all the nurses, everything got still. And the guy, listen, why don't you try that the next time you're in the doctor's office? You know, you're getting ready to have some kind of procedure done. And they're like, you ready? Be like, yeah, are you ready? And, and just watch how things change. It changed the atmosphere. And, the, and, and what was the doctor going to say? Oh, don't pray for me. He was like, humble. He's like, yeah, just go ahead and pray for me, whatever. The reality is that we can do what? We can be used by God to change situations, right? But we can't be internally focused only on me. You never reach others if you're only focused on you. And remember what I said, everything that the enemy does. See, as we engage the culture with the truth, the gospel of grace, and the power of the Holy Spirit operating within us, the kingdom of darkness is depleted of dominion and authority over souls that are influenced and impacted by God within us. See, when we decide that we're going to live our life, see, what the enemy wants you to do, he wants me to do, is he wants me to become so overwhelmed. Like today, I can't even talk. I'm struggling to talk to you today. But you know what? I believe this right here. I could have got up here. I just read through this thing real quick. Man, I could have been done already. I know y'all wish I was. Y'all are so in the flesh. I'm just telling you right now. You're asking the flesh. But here's the thing. I could have just ran through that. But you know what? There's an urgency in my heart to communicate the truth to you. And so regardless of, you know, whatever it is that, you know, I mean, come on, man, it's just my voice, not a big deal. But the thing is, other, other situations in our lives, like, oh, man, I can't share with someone today. I'm going through this. I'm experiencing this. And no, hold on a second. God is greater than whatever I'm experiencing. God is, is he really? He's bigger than anything else that I'm going through. He is greater than all of that. And so you know what? I have the divine mandate on my life to be light that shines in darkness, to be salt in the midst of the earth. Regardless, he didn't say, hey, when everything is peachy keen, when everything feels good, when everything is perfect, when all the stars and the moon and everything lines up, then be a witness. That isn't what he said. He said, as you go, as you go through life, as you go through trial, as you go through hardship, the kingdom of darkness is surrounding you. And as you allow the spirit of God to move through you, do you deplete the kingdom of darkness of its authority and of its grip on the lives of those that are around you? But it requires a person to say, God, I am available. I'm available. I'm yours. I know that again, and, and, and the reality is that if we'll do that, then we'll begin to see what the scripture said. The gates of hell will not prevail. And you see, the thing is, when you look at these gates thing, before I move on to the next point, you know, there's two different debates. There's two different sides. You know, when it talks about the gates, it's like, is the enemy coming against us? Because gates don't really move, do they? Nope. Right? But, but, they, but, but, but you know, the, the picture that I see is that as we go forward, there are gates that are locked. And the enemy wants to do what? Keep us out of those areas. Right. And, what, and what he says is the church that I'm building, the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against that church. They won't overcome. They won't overtake that we have dominion that we've been given because of the God who lives inside of us. Amen. Which brings me to my last point here. Say, biblical church growth extends the kingdom of God. Biblical church growth extends the kingdom of God. Look at verse 19 through 20. It says here, it says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And so he gives them, <clears throat> he gives them these keys. And as the church, we have been given kingdom authority, right? And so we know that the, 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 the power of the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. But I want you to get this. King Jesus dwells within us. He reigns over us and has been given all authority. His kingdom manifests in and through us, in our worship, and through our mission to the world. Two things that I want you to understand. The kingdom of heaven manifests in our worship and in our mission to the world. So we had our time of worship here today, right, in the, the time of singing. All of this is worship. Everything we do in the service is worship, right? The songs we sing, that's worship unto God. The, the time that we partake of communion, that's worship unto God, remembering his sacrifice that he made. Our time of preaching the word of God, when you're listening to the word of God, that is you worshiping God with your attention and with all of your heart. When I'm finished here, we'll give of our tithes and our offerings. That's worship unto God. And so everything that we're doing is worship. Here's what I want you to get. Worship is not just songs we sing, but worship is what? Worship is a life that we live in obedience to God. Right? And so, but here's what I want you to connect. 
is that when we were singing those songs, I don't know about you, but there were, there, there were certain moments, not every single moment was the same, right? I'm not going to be like every single word that came out of our mouth, we just felt like, no. But there were moments, right, that you sensed like the presence of God in a strong movement, in, 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 a strong, in a strong tangible way, right? And what I want you to know is that that same thing that occurs during the time that we're singing songs occurs when we walk in obedience. Are you hearing me? What you need to understand is that as we walk in obedience and as we worship God with our actions, we are ushering in the kingdom of darkness, I mean the kingdom of God, or we are opening the doors to the kingdom of darkness. Are you hearing me? When we live in obedience to God, when we live the way that God calls us to live, we are ushering in his power. We are ushering in his presence. And not to say that you always feel it. It's not always about you. It can be about those around you. But here's the thing. When I decide I'm going to walk in disobedience, you know what I do? I open up doors to the enemy in my life. And I'm not telling you every single thing you go through is because you open up a door from the enemy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I want you to realize is that we usher in the kingdom of God through our obedience and worship. But we also usher in the kingdom of God through what? Through our mission to the world. Here's the problem with many of us. Many of us, when we think about reaching others, we only want to do the worship side. What do I mean by that? What I mean is we only want to do the worship side. We only want to be obedient. We only want to do the things that God calls us to do. We never want to do the mission side. We want everyone to see. that We want everyone to come and ask us a question. Can I tell you something? I really believe that people are going to see the difference in you, and they're going to come and ask you a question. But I believe that that's going to be, that's going to be the minority of the time, not the majority of the time. Are you hearing me? Some of you have been living the same way forever, and no one's asked you a question yet. Just saying. As long as you've been a Christian, you've been living right, you haven't been cheating on your taxes, you've been doing the right things, you know, you're not, you're not um, doing lustful stuff, you're not, you know, you don't have a foul mouth, you're kind, you're generous, you know, you're all, all of that stuff. And yet, no one has come and asked you a question about Jesus. Can I tell you why? Because there are plenty of people that do moral good stuff. And that doesn't look so much different. Can I tell you when it gets real different? It gets real different in those moments when someone asks you, well, why do you do this? Then you can answer the question. Sometimes people aren't going to ask you that question. Can I tell you the other moment that it gets real? It gets real when you decide to be on mission and you begin to share the gospel with someone. Because then they know why you're the way you are, why you live the way that you live. And when you begin to communicate the gospel, listen to me when I tell you this. When we look at the scripture here, it talks about binding and loosing. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something right now. Nowhere in these scriptures is it talking about words and prayer. I'm just going to tell you that right now. That's not what these scriptures are talking about. Now, I know that, listen, and, I, and I've, I've been in prayer services, and I've probably prayed, you know, in, the, in my past, you know, when I prayed bind and loose and all that kind of stuff. That's not what these scriptures are talking about. These scriptures are not talking about that. These scriptures are talking about a real authority that we have in order for us to do what? Whatever we bind on earth has been bound in heaven. That's really the way that it's written out. And whatever we loose on earth has been loosed in heaven. So what God has done is he's given us authority. See, but when I pray, here's what I do. I don't have to say I bind this or loose this, but I can pray in a binding or loosing manner. What do I mean by that? Well, I can pray the will of God, which has been loosed in the earth, and I can pray against the will of the enemy, which has been bound in heaven. Are you hearing me? See, I can pray in this manner. I can come against the things of the enemy. I can live my life in obedience to God, releasing the authority and the power of God in my life and manifesting the kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. I'll give you a couple of other portions of scripture here. The authority we have is collective. I want you to know this is not just an authority that he gives them, you know, that is just them, right? It's not just, just for a group of people, but it's for us, the church. It's collective authority, and it is based upon the scriptures. Listen. I just can't decide what's bound in heaven and what's loosed in heaven. I can't do that. Hello. I can't just say, well, you know what, well, this feels really good. And some of us try to do that all the, you know, all the time in prayer. Like, you know, God, I really think it would be great if you worked this out like this. I really, you know, God, if, if I can, and listen, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. I've done it. Well, I've sat there, and I've, and I've tried to explain to God, God, this is really how this should happen. I mean, Lord, I know you're almighty. I know you are all wise. But there's just some things that I really think that could really, if you would just do it this way, Right? So I'm trying to like bind something, I'm trying to lose something in that sense, you know, trying to make something. No, no, no. I need to submit to the will of God and let the will of God be worked out, right? That's, that's what should be happening. But he gives them this authority. And so 
Understand this, it's not our opinions, it's not our feelings, it's more far-reaching than we realize. Write the scripture down, John chapter 20, verse 21 through, 30, through 23. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he shows them the authority that we have as a church to declare someone forgiven or not. Did you know that? Did you know that as a church, and you can write another scripture down to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. This is about church discipline. Now, these two scriptures, all three of these scriptures together, these tell us what Jesus is talking about. So what happens is if someone comes in here and someone is unrepentant of sin, are they forgiven? Please say it louder. And the whole church can say that. Oh, we're not supposed to judge. Who told you that? <clears throat> I know that that's the new, the new verse. Huh? <laughs> All we did, right, that, that's the new verse, right? No longer John 3.16 is the verse of the age. The verse of the age is what? I think it's like a Matthew 7.14 or something like that, right? Thou shalt not judge. Well, hold on a second. Jesus says you have authority to declare someone forgiven or not forgiven. So someone who repents of sin, we as a church can say, now can we judge someone's heart? No. We can look at the fruit of their life. And we can see someone who is truly repentant as a church. We can say, yep, yeah, you know, that person is demonstrating the fruits of repentance. And so we can declare collectively, that's a brother or sister. Can I tell you something? Every time you call someone a brother or sister in Christ, you know what you're saying? You're forgiven. Did you hear me? You, 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 you don't realize that. But when I say, Tracy, you're my brother, what I'm saying is, hey, I know I'm forgiven. I'm saying you're, that's what makes us brothers. Hello. I'm making a deck. That's why I told you all a few weeks back. Not everybody's my brother. Hello. Not everyone's my sister. No, we're cool. I love you and all that stuff. But if you're not blood bought, we're not fam. That's right. It's just the truth. Absolutely. Matthew chapter 18, it talks about what? It says if a brother sins against you, you go to him one-on-one. -on -one. Didn't say go gossip about him. It, ain't, it, ain't, it didn't say go get a prayer committee and pray for him. It didn't say call people. Listen, I just need you to pray for this because you are so holy in the flesh. If your brother offends you, go to him one-on-one. -on -one. You don't need witnesses yet. If he repents, you've won your brother. Now, if he doesn't repent, what does it say? Go start the gossip. It's not what it says. It says go get two or three witnesses and go to that person. And call them to repentance. So can I tell you something? It doesn't say go get two pastors or go get two ministers or go get two elders. It doesn't say that. But let me tell you what you should do. You should truly go and get mature Christians. Not just who you're cool with. Be, be honest with yourself, right? Not just someone who agrees with you, right? But you should get someone who's biblical. And then you go to that person. And if that person repents, you've won your brother. But if they do not, what does it say? Bring them before the church. Now, you're not going to get anybody before the church before they come before the elders. That's just not going to happen. But here's the thing. If someone is unrepentant of sin, if someone is unrepentant, you bring them to the leadership. And they know what's supposed to happen. What's supposed to happen, they're supposed to come before the church. And the church is supposed to call them to repentance. And if they don't repent, what does the Bible say? Start the gossip? No. It says kick them out. That sounds rough, Bishop. That doesn't sound loving. Oh, no, it's very loving. Because can I tell you the problem in our churches today? We have too many people that are sitting inside of our churches that think they're going to heaven, and they're going straight to hell because nobody ever confronts their sin. We have churches that are filled with people who are unregenerate. Churches that are filled with people that are not born again. Churches that are filled with people who have not repented of sin. Churches who are filled with people that have not turned their life to Christ and they think that they're okay with God. And so why is that loving? Because what we are saying as a, as a church is we are saying, listen, you are not living as a Christian. You cannot call yourself a Christian. You need to go out there and what we're going to do is we're not going to try to encourage you and make you feel good. Hello, somebody. We're going to call you to repentance as someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Because then, when you turn to faith in Christ, we can embrace you and let you know you've been forgiven. See why that's loving? I know for some of you are still not convinced. Can I tell you the reality, though? The reality is, most people don't make it past the two witnesses. Most people don't make it past the two witnesses. Most people leave before they get confronted before the church. 
Most people are gone before that happens because they're never going to experience that embarrassment. And you know what the sad reality is? Most churches don't call anyone else, so they go find somewhere else so they can be comfortable and never get confronted in their sin. Mm -hmm. Here's the bottom line. I'm closing now. We must be committed to extending the kingdom of God in the earth one soul at a time, one conversation at a time, and one opportunity at a time. As the gospel is received, the kingdom is extended, and we must be faithful to share the message that is the key to the kingdom. Can I tell you the key of the kingdom that we have? The key of the kingdom that we have is the gospel. What opens the kingdom for anyone is what? The gospel. It's, it's, it's not cute preaching. It's, it, 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 it's not positive thinking. It is the gospel. You see, the reason why I can say you're forgiven is because I presented the gospel to you. And I said, listen, you're a sinner. You're separated from God because of birth and because of your decisions. And you are on your way to hell. You cannot be good enough. You cannot outdo your bad stuff. And you can do nothing to make it to heaven. But Jesus died for you. He died in your place. He suffered for you. He took every lash so that way you wouldn't have to take them. He experienced that, and that way he could offer you new life. He rose from the dead so you could be justified, and now you have a choice. You can put your faith in him or reject his offer, and if you accept his offer and you put your faith in him, then you know what that says? That says that you're born again, and now we walk together, and you are a new creation, and no longer are you known by those old things, and that is what opens up the kingdom or closes the kingdom. See, because if someone rejects Jesus, the kingdom's closed to them. They're still bound in their sin. They haven't been freed or loosed from their sin. Are you here? My closing question to you is this. Are you doing your part in God's biblical church growth plan? That's my question, something like that every single time that we've come out in the last couple of weeks. Are you doing your part? And listen, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty I'm not trying to weigh you down with guilt and that because that, that, that's only going to motivate you from here to lunch. Hello. Once you have lunch, you're going to forget about all the guilt that you felt. You need to be convicted. The Holy Spirit needs to, need, needs to let this weigh down on you. That, man, God has called you. God has called you. He's called me to be part of his church building plan. Are you doing your part? Are you being obedient? Stand to our feet. Let's pray together. Let that soak in for a moment. Meditate on that. As you do that, if you're in this place and you do not know Jesus, Jesus is not the Lord of your life. You heard him calling you today. You heard this message and you know that you need to put your faith in Christ. Today's the day you can do that. Today you can say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I need your saving grace. God, I need you to deliver me from my sin. I need you to set me free. God, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. You can pray these things to him if that's you in this place. God, I, I, I beg you, help me to live my life for your glory and for your honor. You can do that. And if you put your faith in him today, then I encourage you from this moment forward, walk with him. Get a, get, get, get a Bible if you don't have one. Let one of the leaders know. Let one of us know that you made that commitment today. Begin to seek God. Begin to pursue him. Stay plugged into the church. We're going to have a baptism here pretty soon. If you haven't been baptized, it's time for you to be baptized. Make that public confession of your faith unto God. And if you're in this place and you're, you're a Christian, you're just struggling. You're struggling to do your part. You're, whatever's going on is just hindering you. Today I want to just pray for all of us in this place. Father, I lift up everyone in this building right now. Father, you know each and every heart in this place. And I pray first for the hearts that are broken, that are going through difficulty and going through hardship. Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would fill them with grace. I pray that you would fill them with peace. I pray, Lord God, for those hearts, Lord God, that are overwhelmed with life and circumstances. And, Lord God, they've been out of the battle. They've been out of the fight, Lord God. They felt overwhelmed. Holy Spirit, fill them with grace afresh. Fill them with grace anew, Lord God. Fill them with renewed strength. Today, may they be aligned and focused with you. I pray for those, Lord God, who may not know you in this place. Lord, may you draw their hearts to you today. I pray for them that may know you, but, Father God, may be backslidden, may be turned away from you. May be walking in rebellion toward you, God. May you grant them repentance today, God. Father, may today be the beginning of our mission with you and worship and mission together, God. 
I pray that you be glorified in each and every life of each and every person here. And I pray that the weight of the reality that the God of the universe has chosen us to work through, to build his church, God, I pray that that would sink into us and that we would allow you to use us, God. I pray that you be glorified in each and every one of our lives. And I ask you this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.